following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, I want to once again say big words of thanks to all of you who have adjusted your schedule to be here today at this time instead of the old time. This is our second week of two services, if it's your first Sunday with us. Uh, that didn't, didn't affect you very much, but for most of us in the room, this is definitely a change of habit. And I did see somebody show up at 10 a.m. this morning. Um, hopefully that won't happen too much, but um, I know that it's a change. And I'm grateful to all of you for, for being willing to make that sacrifice, especially to those of you who are finding areas of ministry in worship gatherings, which are now plural gatherings. Uh, I know that for, for you, this is maybe even more of a stretch. And so I'm so thankful to all of you who have made sacrifices to make this thing happen. Um, and I want to extend um, beyond that. I want to encourage you to extend an invitation to people that you know and you love. Um, Because remember a few weeks ago I asked you to look around and see how many seats there weren't empty at this moment? Now, if you look around, there's plenty of seats empty and we have a bunch more stacked against the walls. And so we have lots of room at this point, which was, of course, the whole reason we made this decision and we took this step. And so let me encourage you. I know that um, invitation probably doesn't come naturally to you. It doesn't come naturally really to most people, but it's possible that Artisan is maybe a little bit more reserved in this regard than than even average. (laughs) Uh, So think of it this way. Have you found some kind of spiritual sanctuary, solace, harbor here that you weren't able to find other places? Is this church in some way particularly special to you? Now, all churches are special to the people that attend them. There's nothing unique about us in that regard. But the things that do make us unique are what make it special for you to be here. And maybe you have a friend or a coworker, or a family member or a neighbor who would find the same kind of sanctuary here that you have found. And so uh, invitation may not be the first thing that comes to mind for you. It may not come supernaturally to you. But all I'm asking you to do is... Um, Invite somebody into this place to experience the, uh, the peace and joy and challenge and um, all the things that, you, that keep you coming here to be together with all of us uh, to worship God in this particular place. Maybe uh, you would be willing to extend that invitation to somebody else, especially during Lent. Um, for what it's worth, people are more interested in coming to church when you get closer to Easter. And so I fully expect that on Easter Sunday we'll be, we'll be like really packed out in both services, but throughout this time, um, maybe get a little bit beyond your comfort zone in that way. I would encourage you to do that. I'm going to try to do that, and I hope that you will too. Okay. I have had uh, space on my mind a lot lately, and I think there's two reasons why I've had space on my mind. The first reason is that I finally, just about a week and a half or two weeks ago, I finally saw the new Star Wars movie, right? Now, I'm probably the last person in the room to have seen the new Star Wars movie, right? Oh, see, you guys? No? Okay. Well, not everybody can be a, a, a nerd. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. It was great. I finally get the uh, emo Kylo Ren Twitter account jokes now and um, had a good time. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, and I'm pretty sure that this is just the universe responding to me finally seeing the Star Wars movie, we have detected uh, gravitational waves, which Einstein predicted, what, 100 years ago or something like that. This is the first time we've actually been able to detect them. And uh, I have, I've, uh, after, uh, the artisan woo for gravitational waves, right? I mean, <laughs> um, I kind of like almost 
got to the edge of beginning to understand what that means <laughs> um, when I looked into it a little bit. But it's been uh, in the news and so forth, and uh, it's been on my mind. So space has been on my mind. And then I started to read the text for today that we're going to look at in a little bit, and it mentioned stars, and I got interested in stars. And so I went and did some uh, research. I wanted to find out what is the, um, how far away is the star that's closest to our sun, right? Does anybody know this off the top of your head? It's very close, four and a quarter light years, yes, 4.24 light years. Uh, for those of us who don't uh, abla science, um, <laughs> that's 25 trillion miles away. And I don't know which number is more staggering. I don't know which is more hard to comprehend. The fact that a photon of light would take four years and three months to get from that star, Proxima Centauri, to my eyes. I can't see the northern hemisphere, but let's go with it for a second. I don't know whether that's more staggering or the fact that 25 trillion means 25 with 12 zeros after it. Right? Think of it this way. If the sun, which is, you know, it's rather big, if the sun were actually the size of a grain of sand, right, the earth would be about four inches away from that grain of sand. Now, Pluto, which maybe was a planet, maybe isn't a planet, they keep changing it, I don't know, but it's something and it's far away. If the sun is a speck of sand and we're four inches away from it, Pluto is 14 feet away from the speck of sand that is this, our sun. This star that's 4.24 light years away would be 18 miles away from the speck of sand. And that's just the closest one. I mean, think of all the other thousands of stars. Now, we live in Rochester, so we only see seven of them. But <laughs> there are thousands. I've, I'm from rural Maine. There are thousands of them in the sky that you can see. And <laughs> there's a, yeah, they're even farther away. Now, you know, you, you live in Rochester. I love Rochester. Don't, don't hear me disparaging Rochester too much. But you've all been out to the country, right, on a, on a clear night and seen in a setting where there's not a lot of urban light and there's not a, a nearly constant cloud cover. Uh, you can go out and see these stars, and it's mind-blowing. It's actually kind of overwhelming. In its sheer beauty... It's overwhelming. Uh, it's overwhelming just when you start to think about the scale of the universe that scientists so wonderfully have been able to begin to help us understand just a little bit. And it's overwhelming theologically, too. There's a, one of the Psalms uh, that says this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established... What are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? In a universe this big and ever-expanding, how could it be that on that little tiny speck of sand, there's an even tinier little maybe atom-sized thing spinning around it, <laughs> and you and I walk around held down onto that little atom-sized thing by its gravity, just the tiniest, tiniest little thing in the scope of just the tiniest portion of the universe that I've described to you. And somehow, 
the God who made that universe, cares about us. It's amazing. If you look at the stars, you start to think about these kind of things. Now, in the, <coughs> in the uh, Old Testament passage that's assigned to us on this second Sunday in Lent, we find a story about Abram, who would become known as, later as Abraham, who would be the patriarch of God's chosen people. And we read in the story in Genesis 15, which we'll look at in a minute, uh, an encounter that he had with God and the night sky, specifically the stars. Now, there's a little backstory here, which is that when Abram was 75 years old and had had no children with his wife, Sarah, God made a promise to Abram. And God said, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, this must have been hard for Abram to believe at age 75. But he did believe. And how is that belief demonstrated? I've talked about this before. He got up and walked. That's the test of faith, being willing to take a step. And he did. And it is sometime after that first promise and sometime after that first calling that our story today takes place. And let me read it to you now. It's from Genesis 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 and then skip ahead and read 17 and 18. You can follow along in your red Bibles if you want. You only have to go to page 10. It's easy to find. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. He brought him all these things and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, 
the river Euphrates. I want to talk about two pairings, two dichotomies this morning. I want to talk about fear and waiting, and then I want to talk about stars and darkness. Abraham, now we, we now know this man is Abraham, so I'm probably going to just start calling him Abraham at this point. Abraham uh, had trusted God to get to the point that he was at when this story took place. But his faith was wavering a little bit. Now, does anyone else find it encouraging that even the great heroes of the Bible have a sometimes shaky faith? Is that reassuring to anybody other than me? I mean, you can see it in just these, uh, there's 18 verses here, I didn't even read all of them, and he goes back and forth like three times, <laughs> right? After it says, he, I mean, he had, he'd come this far because he believed God, he trusted him and, and went and walked, like I said, and then he's like, well, you've given me no air, and God tells him something, and he believes it, and God reckons it to him as righteousness, and then after that, he says, but how can I know for sure? Right. Um, if, you've, if you've never wrestled with spiritual doubt, let me tell you one of the things that happens. One of the things that happens is when that first big wave of it hits you and you somehow manage to hang on long enough for the wave to, to recede, you think to yourself, whew, I'm glad that's over. But it's not, <laughs> because it keeps happening. It comes in waves. There are times when it's easier to believe and times when it's harder to believe. And you can see Abram getting hit with a few waves just in the matter of this one day. So perhaps it will be of some reassurance to you when I say to you, know that if you are a person whose faith is imperfect, as my faith is imperfect, uh, that... We're not alone. We have some really good company, actually. The father of God's chosen people had this same experience. And more than having a wavering faith, it's deeper than that. Because he's actually afraid. We know this from the very beginning of the story. What's the first thing that the Lord says to him in this vision? Do not be afraid, Abram. Why was it that his faith was wavering? And why was it then that he was afraid? I think it's because God had not yet fulfilled the promise that he made to him. He had no true-born offspring suitable for the fulfillment of that promise. Okay, that might make his faith waver, but why should that cause him to be afraid? Well... There is a special kind of fear that comes from worrying that God has abandoned you. There's a special kind of fear that comes from worrying that maybe God isn't even there. And if you are a person of faith who has had any experience with doubt, you know that it's not just a confusing feeling, it's not just an uncomfortable feeling, it's a terrifying feeling. 
when the foundations of your belief seem to be not as steady as you had hoped, or maybe even parts of them seem to be crumbling. And if you uh, are not a person of faith at all, or if you are but haven't had that kind of experience with doubt, let me tell you, it is one of the most disorienting sensations and experiences you could have. Uh, As a matter of fact, there are psalms in the Bible that are called the psalms of lament. That's their commonly used, the commonly used term to describe the psalms where people are crying out to God and asking Him, why have you abandoned me? When will you save me? My enemies are chasing me. Some scholars call these psalms of lament psalms of disorientation. I think that's such a perfect word for this type of experience. It's disorienting. It takes the things that we thought we knew and understood and flips them all around. Our psalm for today, this Second Sunday in Lent, Psalm 27, is not, as it happens, one of the Psalms of Lament, but the connections between fear and uh, waiting for God to fulfill the promise are seen in this Psalm. The, the, The last line of Psalm 27 says this, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. In Hebrew poetry, as in other types of poetry, but it's particularly uh, significant in Hebrew poetry, repetition kind of gives you a clue as to something. It's a, it's a poetic device, right? And uh, when you see wait for the Lord and wait for the Lord bracketing something, the stuff in the middle is designed to kind of, uh, this is not a literary criticism term, but it's designed to sort of poke out at the other, <laughs> at the other ends. Um, the point is that Waiting, according to the psalmist, actually requires courage. Waiting, if you're waiting for something, you you may very well be afraid that it's not going to come. We've all had that kind of experience, right? I remember, like, um, being down to the end of my street late for the bus when I was a kid in school (laughs) and realizing, ooh, I might have missed it. And then there's that moment of fear, right? And that's just missing a bus when you're 10 years old. There's, There's a lot scarier things in the world. But waiting... Uh, requires courage because waiting is, is scary. So fear and waiting, that's the first pairing, first dichotomy I wanted to share with you. The, the, the waiting it gives us sort of a spiritual fear. And this kind of spiritual fear that comes from waiting for God is, is like a great darkness. A deep and terrifying darkness is what the text says. Now, how many of you, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, raise your hands if you don't want to, but how many of you are uh, afraid of the dark? Many of us were afraid of the dark when we were kids. Some of us are still afraid of the dark. Uh, until this morning, I would have said, no, I'm not afraid of the dark. But I came downstairs this morning uh, in the dark and stepped on my cat's tail, and he yelped at me. And I, Tra- you can ask her, she's not here, but Tracy, uh, it woke her up, the, the um, well, let's call it the childish scream that I, <laughs> that I gave uh, when I unexpectedly made my cat squeal at me. Ah! That's approximately the sound I made. Um, and I don't know if that means I'm scared of the dark or not, but um, if you're a person who is afraid of the dark, even just the phrase, a deep and terrifying darkness, might be enough to make you go, ooh, ooh. 
You give me a little shudder, a little shiver. By the way, isn't it weird that uh, when we're, if we're scared of the dark and, and we're in the dark, we close our eyes? <laughs> what sense does that make? I don't know. But we do it. Now, when Abraham, Abram was scared, if not of the dark, he was scared in the dark. God brought him outside and said to him, open your eyes. Look at the stars. Look how they shine for you. My goal today, by the way, is to make it impossible for you ever to hear the Coldplay song Yellow again without thinking of Genesis chapter 15 and the story of Abram being brought out to say, look at the stars. Look how they shine for you. So, I don't know if I've just ruined Coldplay for you or improved Coldplay for you. I guess it depends on what you thought of Coldplay before this moment. But you will never again hear that song on the radio and not go, oh, Abram out in the stars in Genesis 15 again. And check this out, man. How amazing is it, by the way, that when Abram went out there and looked up at those stars, most, if not all, of the light that he saw was older than the promise he was being reassured of. Right? This is maybe 10 years later. Those stars were more than 10 light years away, most of them. How crazy is that? that the, it's just amazing to me that this light started shining before Abram ever received that first promise. And then it comes and it hits his eye these years later as a reassurance of the promise. I, just, I started thinking about that and I, my head was spinning a little bit. But as anybody who's been out in the country on a dark night knows, it's in the deepest darkness that we can see the light best. When the darkness is at its deepest is when you can see the most stars. But you do have to look up. Sometimes we don't want to take that step. The the lectionary passages for today are filled with these themes of light and darkness and fear and waiting. The psalmist sings, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Apostle Paul reminds us Our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a passage from the Gospel of John, which is not assigned to us today, but which is too good to pass up, in his prologue to this story of Jesus that he's about to tell, he says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. It's almost like he's saying to all of us, look at the stars. See how they shine for you. And Jesus took on skin and flesh and bones and made it beautiful. He swam across. <laughs> <laughs> jumped across for you. I have no idea if they, if they meant it that way, but um, that's how I'm going to hear it from now on. So if you are in 
deep darkness this morning, I want to encourage you to look to the light of the world. If this morning your faith is on the wane, I want you to, to encourage you specifically to trust in Jesus. If you feel you've been waiting for something from God for so long that you're not sure you can wait any longer and you are just about to let go, consider perhaps that your waiting could be converted into the type of holy expectation for the fullness of the kingdom of Jesus that Paul hints at in that passage from Philippians. And if you are afraid because there is a deep and terrifying darkness around you, perhaps it would be helpful to hear Jesus himself saying to you, as he said to his disciples, do not fear. Look to Jesus because he is fully human and he shares in our suffering. We talked about that last week. Look to Jesus because, as Paul reminds us, he will fulfill all things. Look to Jesus because he is the light of the world and the darker the sky gets, the more you will be able to see that light. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your hearts take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh God, the world is sometimes such a dark place. It needs your light. And we are people who are terrible at waiting. We sit in fear, our eyes closed in the dark. Help us, we pray, to open our eyes, to look at the stars, to see the light of the world. Open our eyes, we pray, Lord Jesus, to see you. Amen. Now, I did not go into any detail, really, about that fairly bizarre ritual at the very end of the story where the, the animals are torn apart and set opposite each other and the, the fire pot and the smoking torch go between them. This is a an ancient covenant ritual. You see it in other places in the Bible where people make this make an agreement with someone and the, the broken bodies of these animals are designed to show the seriousness of the promise that is being made. And so breaking these animals' bodies apart for Abram is God's way of saying, this is, this is my promise to you. This is our covenant In the, in, in the case of Jesus, of course, it's not an animal, but a man, the Son of God, whose body is broken, as we say when we celebrate communion together. This body is broken for you. The 
blood has been shed, he has bled himself dry for the forgiveness of sins. And that promise, the seriousness of which is accentuated by the broken body of Jesus, is extended to you now at this table. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. Is to be made ready for those who love him and who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, not because it is I who invite you, it is our Lord. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. So come. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.